0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Hello
1: and welcome to episode number two of the Whispering Woods podcast.
2: I'm Sarah. And I'm Toby. We're releasing three shows on our launch date, so we hope you enjoy. Tonight's episode is about possession. Do you believe in demons, Toby? Yeah. You do, do
1: you? hmm I have my own thoughts on demons, but I'll share that a bit later on in the podcast. Shall we get started with the first story? Yeah. As last time, this is a bit of an introductory piece. All the research links will be in the podcast description should anyone want to have a little read. Right, are you prepared for some scares? Yeah, do your best, Ma. In his book of 1990, an exorcist tells his story. Father Gabriel Lemos, who was the chief exorcist of Rome, identified four uniquely defined stages of demonic possession. Infestation, oppression, obsession, and lastly, possession. First comes infestation, where a demonic entity will introduce itself to its intended victim, often under the guise of a deceased loved one to offer comfort during a time of mourning or is a friend to a lonely child experiencing a tumultuous time. The infestation stage can continue for several years until any such activity has become normalised, allowing the evil presence to fully infiltrate the life of their proposed prey and begin the manipulation of mind, body and soul. Infestation can occur when a door to the spiritual world has been opened and the entities have been permitted to cross over. Using a Ouija board, holding a seance and other forms of divination can act as an invitation or residing in a property already infested by a demonic force appear to be the usual catalysts. These dark spirits are also known to attach themselves to objects such as the Annabelle doll from the infamous case reported by paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren in 1968. The Warrens kept an entire museum of such haunted objects to safeguard and educate the population on these surreptitious attacks from benevolent creatures. Infestation will typically involve such phenomena as the presence of odours, objects moving or disappearing, disembodied voices and footsteps, and other general haunting activity. To distinguish this first phase from the later stages, infestation is generally not of a person, of a place or an object, and continues until the foothold has been gained. Following this first stage and upon successful completion, oppression occurs. This step is used to wear down a victim and oppressive attacks will happen in quick succession. These could be in the form of physical assaults, relationship breakdowns, financial problems, illnesses and sleep disturbances, including insomnia and night terrors. A victim will often suffer from acute depression and anxiety and pull away from friends and family. These tactics are used to isolate a victim and erode their sense of self. The third stage is obsession. The afflicted will find it very difficult to function. Their everyday life becoming completely unmanageable as suicidal thoughts occupy their mind. Sleep becomes almost impossible as they obsess over the demonic activity and at this point they have often withdrawn from family and friends. All three of these stages can be dealt with by a competent deliverance minister but once full possession has been accomplished only an official exorcist is able to perform the ritual. According to Father Gabriel's writings, which are contrary to popular belief, possession does not include entering a person and taking over their mind and body. Instead, a person is eventually broken down by the preceding three stages, so that they are emotionally, spiritually, and physically unable to fight off a demon's advances. And from this position, an evil spirit will have the ability to temporarily take control of that person's actions. Right, so what did you think of that first piece? Got any questions? Was there really a museum? Yeah. Do you know about the Warrens and who they are? No. No. Okay, so they were pretty famous in the paranormal world. Ed was a demonologist, and Lorraine, I'm pretty sure she's passed away now as well, um, was a psychic, and they used to help people who had problems with demonic activity. So they'd go round to their homes, assess the situation, see if they needed exorcisms and stuff, and yeah, they would just advise them of... What was happening? You know the possession? What's that film with the clapping? The scary clapping. Do you know the Conjuring movies? Yeah. Right, so in the first one, that's Ed and Lorraine Moran. They go to the haunted house and the mum gets gets possessed, doesn't she? Yeah. And they are the ones in the film. Obviously, that's not really them. They go and help them out of that situation. They set up an occult museum so that any specimens they thought were haunted, had bad stuff associated with them, they would lock it in this museum so that nobody else could get harmed from the objects.
2: What kind of things did they have in there?
1: They had, well, for starters, they had the Annabelle Bell. <laughs> the Annabelle doll, even. <laughs> um, they had bits of furniture in there that were haunted. Um, all sorts of stuff that they collected over the years. I wouldn't mind one of them museums. Well you're not having it here. Yeah I am. No way, Jose. Unfortunately, we've got no space (laughs) with all of us lot crammed into this house. Okay, are you ready for the second story? Yes I am. So this is purportedly true. Um it's a story from Reddit. Bit unclear whether it is possession or sleep paralysis, but have a little listen and let me know what you think. Okay. I've never really spoken about this. It all started about three years ago when I was talking to this girl for a while. Her name was Natalie, and she lived in an older house and had the entire basement to herself. I remember her saying things like how her house was haunted etc and I didn't really believe her until this one evening. Me and my friend Nick were staying at hers and I remember him lying down on the couch at around 9.30pm. He was just staring blankly at the wall. I didn't think anything was wrong at first. I thought he was just messing around. I started calling his name. Yo, Nick! 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 Nothing. I couldn't get a response from him. Meanwhile, I was across the room and Natalie was sitting on her bed. After about a minute of him just staring blankly, he jumps off the couch saying, I don't mess with that! I don't mess with that! Freaking right out and Natalie started laughing. It didn't really dawn on me until later. That I think she knew what was happening. Anyway, I started laughing too, thinking it was just a joke. Around five minutes passed and he calms down and sits back down on the couch. This is where things get a little creepy and interesting. She had this screen door in her room that opened outside. I specifically remember as soon as I took two steps out of her room to go outside every single light in the room, including outlets, all blue, and it was pitch black and it got really creepy for a second. We tried everything and the only thing in our room that was still working was the lamp that was next to the couch, right next to Nick's head. This was all kind of new to me. I didn't really know what to think about the situation. I then remember things getting really weird. Natalie was getting super agitated over the littlest things and wouldn't let me sleep in her bed. So I was like, whatever, I'll just sleep on the floor at the foot of her bed. But I couldn't fall asleep that night. I was laying there while everyone else was asleep and then I had a sleep paralysis type feeling. I couldn't move or anything. This has happened to me once before, a while ago, when I was young and all I could think to do was pray. I started saying the Our Father prayer in my head and when I was about halfway through it stopped and I just tried to go back to bed. Thirty seconds or so passed and it hits me again and I can't move. This is giving me chills just typing this. So I start praying and again halfway through the prayer. It stops. At this point, I was like, whatever it is, it's gone. Until about another 30 seconds pass. But this time, it was much more frightening. I remember it felt as if someone had plugged me into an outlet and I was being shocked. My whole body was kind of shaking and whatever it was was holding me down hard. I tried to move my arm as hard as I could to rip the blanket off Nick, to wake him up and help me. But in my head, I was saying the Our Father, and it left halfway through again. I was so scared for a few months after that. I literally slept in the same room as my mum for a month or so. It took me a while to kind of make sense of what had happened that night. But I think that some entity or demon or something I don't know tried messing with my friend Nick and when I laughed and taunted it, it targeted me. This next thing happened about two years ago when I moved into my new house, which I still live in today. My aunt was visiting and it was late at night around 2am. I was just chilling, playing video games, doing my thing when I heard this weird sound. I had my gaming headset on so I ignored it and kept playing. When I thought I heard the same sound the second time, from behind me on my bed, I took off the headset to wait and see if I would hear it again and find out what it was. I sat there for a couple of minutes, just waiting. Then I heard this sound right next to me. Woo-woo is all I could make out, and it was just weird and creeped me out. So I ran into my mum's room and told her something was making sounds in my room, and she was like, oh... It's probably just the sprinkler system or some other BS and went outside to take a look. I walked back into the hall in my room and stood there waiting for my mum to come back inside. That's when I heard the loudest woo -woo in my ear. I ran outside of the house crying and freaking out. My mum thought I was crazy. I remember hearing the voice another time while I was trying to sleep and I just kept telling it to go away and I haven't had any crazy stuff happen since then, though I do get sleep paralysis sometimes. The most recent experience I had was like the presence of a woman in my room, and I couldn't move. I don't know all this stuff, it's creepy to me, so I figured I'd post about it and share my experience. If anyone has an insight, let me know please.
2: Have you ever had sleep paralysis? I have, I think. Only the once, though. What happened? Um, it was before
1: you were born, actually, and I was staying at Nanny's with your sister, Maisie and George, your brother. George was only probably about six months old at the time, and we they used to live in this really old building. It was a post office that you, they used to run. And... I thought I woke up, but I don't think I did. And I had a dream that the buggy, the pram, was in the bedroom. And this huge wind was coming through the room. And it swept the buggy off. And it was pushing me down onto the bed. And I couldn't get up. And all I could think was about my children, that I needed to to be able to, you know, protect them. And I kind of sat myself up with a... And, and came out of it but it was really, really frightening really scary have you?
2: yeah, I have um, one time I was lying down on the bed and I don't know what it was but I couldn't move at all I could only move my head and something came in through the door and it my head got like forced up it was tilting my head up and like my mouth was open and I could hardly breathe And it went on for like 15, probably 10, 15 seconds and then it just stopped. Oh, was that up in your bedroom here or at Dad's? Here. Oh, do
1: you know what? I've been thinking lately, I need to sage the house again, especially that bedroom. (laughs) Your sister, she always used to get a bit freaked out in there as well.
2: Yeah, because I've been in my room and there's only sounds from it. Yeah, because
1: your room is on the corner... And it, we're we're semi-detached. That corner is exposed, so there's no wall attached to it, and you get all the wind and everything hitting that corner of your bedroom. Yeah, but it's pretty good because you could hear the wind in there. It's awesome.
2: What's the creepiest thing that's ever happened to you?
1: I'm gonna have to spend some time thinking about that. Yeah, I really am. I mean. There's loads of things, really. What about you?
2: One time, probably I was staying at Dad's with Amir. Mm-hmm. We was watching a horror film. I think it was The Nun. Right. And then we, we heard sounds from out the window. Amir jumped under the covers. <laughs> I I well, I was just on the bed as well. And then I, I went, it was like, oh, I'm just going to go see what it is. I, I looked out the blinds of the window and... I don't know what it was. It looked like a fox mixed with like just a long white figure standing in my garden. No, oh, that's a bit. Like in the front garden. Ooh. Shiver be tippers. Amir was like, "What is it?" I was like, I "Don't know." What did Amir do? He stayed under the quilts. <laughs> don't blame him. <laughs> and then I looked back out and it was gone. And I was like, "Okay, well, it's gone now. And he was like, am I safe? I really got you protecting him, have not I? Yeah. (laughs) And he said, yeah, well, it's gone, but I can't say it won't come back. Yeah, I've had loads of creepy stuff. Actually, I've got
1: a really quick one. When me and Auntie Becky were teenagers and Nanny was at work, we used to go in the back garden to smoke cigarettes because that's how we rolled at the time. And we, where Nanny used to live, it was our family home. We lived there for about thirty years. Well, landed. Was a wood behind. We had our back garden, and then a fence, and then the woods. And I always used to get strange dreams about the woods, as it was. But we were having a cigarette out the back, and we heard this whispering from the woods. And Auntie Becky went, "Did you hear that?" And I went, "Yeah." And we both stubbed our packet out and ran inside. And she said did it sound like it was saying something? And I said, it sounded like it was saying my name. Sarah. And she said, "Yes, yeah, what I thought too. And we just pegged it upstairs and locked ourselves in the bedroom till Nanny came home from work. That's
2: quite creepy. It is creepy, especially something saying your name in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, one time I was in Nelsie in some some random lady like in the rain and the wind she just came up to me and started praying for me in some random language what that's really strange what just how old was she i don't know she looked quite old what just walked up to you and started praying yeah she was in like a coat she had an umbrella she had her hood up with her umbrella she started praying for me oh i don't like that did she did she mark
1: the sign of the cross on your forehead i don't know (laughs) Like I said, I'm definitely going to save your bedroom. In November of 2011, LaToya Ammons, her mother Rosa Campbell, and her three children aged seven, nine and twelve, moved into their new home on Carolina Street, Gary, Indiana. The accommodation was modest and was situated on a quiet lane with similarly built single-storey buildings. In December of that same year, the family noticed that their front porch had become infested with flies, highly unusual for that time of year, and no matter how they tried to eradicate the issue, the flies would keep returning. This would be the first of several unexplainable events that would eventually lead to the family becoming the subject of an article in the Indiana Star and the case became renowned worldwide. Along with the flies, the family would occasionally hear footsteps that would start in the basement after midnight and make their way upstairs to the kitchen, where they would then hear the door creak open. These noises continued even after the door to the kitchen was locked. One night, Latoya was startled awake by the shadowy figure of a man. She leapt out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. On the 10th of March 2012, the family's growing unease would be replaced with terror. It was around 2am and a number of guests were at the home mourning the death of a loved one. Latoya, who had been in her mother Rose's bedroom where her 12 year old and a friend had been sleeping, suddenly screamed out, Mama! Mama! When Rosa and several others entered the room, the 12 year old was levitating above the bed. Latoya and a number of guests began to pray, and the child eventually lowered back down onto the bed. When she awoke, she had no memory of what had happened. At this point, the family knew they needed help. Unsure of what help, but knowing it was supernatural, they contacted a number of religious institutions, but they refused the family any assistance. Eventually, they found a church that was willing to help, and they advised the family that they had spirits living amongst them. They recommended that they clean the home with ammonia and bleach, and sign the cross on the windows and doorways with oil. The family also made contact with two clairvoyants who said that the house was infested with over 200 demons and the best thing they could do was move. Unable to afford the expense of moving, Latoya instead built an altar in the basement at the medium's suggestion. And they also burned white sage and sulfur throughout the house, whilst reading Psalm 81. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. This seemed to have the desired effect for a few days, but then the activity returned tenfold. The demons began to possess Latoya and her three children. The children's eyes would bulge and they would have wicked grins fixed upon their faces and they would talk in low guttural tones. The youngest boy then began to talk to an unseen child in the closet. The child described how it felt to die. The 12 year old would go on to tell mental health professionals that when possessed it would feel like someone was holding her down and choking her she could neither move nor speak the demons would also tell her that she would never see her family again and would die within 20 minutes desperate for help the family went to see their physician he reported the following statement to the Indiana Star 20 years and I've never heard anything like that in my life he said I was scared myself when I walked into that room The boys cursed the physician in demonic voices and medical staff described how the youngest was thrown by an invisible force against a wall. The boys then collapsed and emergency services were called to attend. Several police and medical staff then took the family to the local hospital. The Department of Child Services were called in to assess LaToya's capability to properly look after the children believing that she was actively encouraging them to perform. Valerie Washington became the caseworker of the family and the following is a summary of a report given to the police and the Department of Child Services. Hospital staff assessed LaToya and the children, who were deemed as healthy and free from any form of bruises or marks. LaToya also underwent a psychological test, and it was determined that she was sound of mind. Later in the evening, the seven-year-old began to growl, and his eyes rolled back in his head. He looked to his older brother and said,
0: It's time to die,
1: in a demonic voice, and
0: I will kill you.
1: During this exchange, the older boy began to headbutt his grandmother in the stomach. She grabbed his arms and started to pray. What happened next defies all explanation. The nine-year-old began to walk backwards, but he didn't stop. He walked up the wall behind him and then flipped over his grandmother's head, having not let go of his hand all the while. Later, the police asked Valerie if the child had been performing like an acrobatic trick, and she advised them that it hadn't been like that. He had glided on the floor and then up the wall and ceiling, and this was recorded in the police report. The children were then taken into DCS custody, so they could better assess what was happening within the family. The hospital chaplain would eventually go on to ring the Reverend Michael Maginot, who used to be a priest at St Stephen Martyr Parish and asked him to perform an exorcism on the nine-year-old boy. The Reverend wanted to first check for any natural causes to the seemingly paranormal occurrences, and interviewed Latoya and her mother for four hours in their home. During this time, he noted that a blind was moving in the kitchen and there had been no air movement. He had also seen wet boot prints across the floor. He became convinced that the family were indeed possessed by a demonic spirit and that there were also ghosts in the house. He advised the women that the home wasn't safe and they temporarily moved in with friends whilst the children remained in DCS custody. Less than a week later, they returned to Carolina Street to allow Valerie, the DCS case manager, to assess the home. She was escorted by three police officers but LaToya refused to enter. LaToya's mother stated that she believed the activity seemed to emanate from under the basement stairs, and she thought that there was some kind of portal there. Austin, a Gary police captain who was in attendance, said that he believed in the paranormal, but not demons. He soon changed his mind when a fellow officer's power light malfunctioned. It had brand new batteries but the light was flashing to indicate they were running out and another officer appeared to pick up an audio recording of a voice saying, Hey. The same officer also took photographs and when later he enlarged them, it looked like a ghostly face had been captured above the stairs. There also appeared to be a second face, that of a woman. In addition, Austin stated that the pictures he'd taken with his iPhone seemed to have strange silhouettes in the images. On his way home, his police-issue radio began to malfunction. The garage door at his home refused to open and the seat of his personal car began moving forwards and backwards on its own. When he took his vehicle to a mechanic, he was told that it was broken and it could have quite easily led to a distraction whilst driving in that state. He was lucky not to have been involved in an accident, so serious was the issue. The DCS continued to assess the family's situation and advised Latoya that she would have to make some changes to her lifestyle in order to have her children returned. And while she worked on these objectives, the DCS and police continued to investigate her claims. A large group returned to Carolina Street, including the police, the Reverend and a new DCS worker, Ilak, who would replace Valerie as she didn't want to go back into the house. Ilak touched some slippery liquid that she had found in the basement. Not knowing what the substance was, it started to make her little finger feel numb and as if it was broken. She later had a panic attack and had to leave the house. The Reverend told the police he wanted to check under the stairs as there was a section of flooring that had not been finished, it was just earth, and he felt that if someone had been buried there, it would explain the phenomena tormenting the family. The police dug into the earth and found a pink press-on fingernail, some ladies' knickers, a political shirt pin, a saucepan lid, socks with the bottoms cut out, sweet wrappers and a heavy metal object. The Reverend then blessed the space and placed some salt in the area. Austin refused to stay in the house after nightfall. He described that in his role as police captain and part of the police force for over 30 years, he had been shot at, dealt with murder investigations, rapes and armed robberies, but he would not remain in the house when it was dark. The remaining officers continued to investigate, and noticed an oil-like substance on some of the blinds. They wiped it with paper towels to clean it off and then isolated the room for 25 minutes. When they returned, the oil had reappeared. The Reverend advised the police officers it was evidence of a demonic presence and he included it in his report to the Bishop when requesting permission to hold an exorcism. Initially, the bishop did not grant permission, and the Reverend was told to talk with other priests who could provide him with the rites for a minor deliverance. Eventually, the Reverend carried out the nearly two hour ritual on Latoya with two police officers and the DCS worker, Ilek, also present. Ilek reports that she felt something was watching them throughout the exorcism and breathing down their necks. She didn't go so far as to say it was a demon but shortly after visiting the Carolina property she went on to suffer a number of accidents including third degree burns from a motorcycle incident, three broken ribs through skiing, a broken hand when hitting a table and a broken ankle from running in flip-flops. Permission for a major exorcism was eventually given by the bishop, and a total of three rites were performed on the toya. Two in English. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every spectre from hell, and all your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last was performed in Latin in June 2012. The exorcisms were deemed successful and the family were reunited in November 2012 and they relocated to Indianapolis where they so far live without fear. Anyway, so I was going to tell you what I think demons are. Okay. I think because I don't really believe in them in a biblical sense I think they are beings from another dimension who can get across sometimes and they just want to play with us man what are your thoughts
2: I reckon they're from hell and the devil sends them here to terrorize us
1: right okay so you do believe them in a biblical
2: sense I believe in demonic stuff in more of a religion way, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I do.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: I just, yeah, I think sometimes
1: there are different planes of existence and some things figure out how to get over. And, yeah. You know, and and they just play with us. <laughs> right, that's the end of the second episode. We hope you enjoyed it. What did you think of it, Toby? Did any of it frighten you? Nah, not really. Not really? Not even that third story? Because that freaked me right out when I was writing it. Nah. Nah. Okay. Gonna have to try harder again. If I can just ask another favour, if you could please write a review for us because it really, really helps with new podcasts. That would be fabulous. Thanks so much for listening again and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone.